Why don't you grab your Bibles, if you will, and uh, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, There should be Bibles scattered in the pews in front of you, so if you don't have your own, you can grab one. Matthew chapter 6, the first book in your New Testament. uh, If you are using the small prints, page 786. Matthew chapter 6, as we continue to walk through the Gospel of Matthew in our sermon series, The King and His Kingdom. This morning, we'll be taking a look at the disciples' burden as it relates to the subject matter of worry. The subject matter of worry. Matthew chapter 6, and we'll be starting in verse 25. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, running through the end of the chapter. I trust that you're there close to it. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. So if you would pray with me this morning, please. Father, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be here to sing songs of praise to you, to give uh, of our tithes and offerings to you, and now we want to give our attention to you uh, just for these next few minutes. And not only do we want to give you our attention, but we want to give you our hearts. We want to give you our lives. We want to give you all that we are, uh, knowing that you are a good and trustworthy God, that you care for your creation. Uh, Father, you clothe the, the lilies of the field with splendor, and you provide for the birds of the air. How much more will you care and know the details of our lives? We are so grateful for you and for your goodness to us. Father, help us now as we turn to your word to receive it and to obey it in the name of Jesus. And God's people together said, amen. Well, I ran across an article uh, this week that I want to share and begin our sermon with. And the the article is simply entitled, How You Can Tell When It's Going to Be a Rotten Day. How you can tell when you know it's going to be a rotten day. Number one, you know it's going to be a rotten day. When you call suicide prevention and they put you on hold. You know it's going to be a rotten day when your birthday cake collapses from the weight of all of those candles. You know it's going to be a rotten day when your car horn accidentally goes off and remains stuck as you follow behind a group of hell's angels on the freeway. You know it's going to be a rotten day when you get into work and your boss tells you not even to take your coat off. You know it's going to be a rotten day when the bird singing outside your window is a buzzard. You know it's going to be a rotten day when you put both of your contact lenses in the same eye. I've done that before. It hurts. And finally, you know it's going to be a rotten day when your wife says, Good morning, Bill, and your name is George. That's when you know it's going to be a bad day. You know, there are all sorts of things that can make our day rotten. And we can worry about those things happening. So here's the question that is before us. How are followers of Jesus Christ, kingdom Christians, if you will, to respond to the burden of worry? How are we to deal with the worries of this world? Let me just ask you a personal question. What is it that you worry about most? What do you worry about? What what keeps you up at night as you're trying to sleep and your brain is, is churning What is it that causes your stomach to feel nauseous and over time gives you ulcers? What are those things in your life that causes you stress? What do you worry about? And not only what do you worry about, but there's another question I want us to ponder this morning. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with that worry? I mean, how do you fight the worries of this world? Well, a few weeks ago before Easter, we saw the disciples' burden or responsibility towards wealth 
in chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, which Dan read for us this morning. And now we look at the, the, the next passage, which is a related passage. Jesus moves from talking about wealth to talking about worry in verses 25 through 34 of chapter 6. And what we're going to see this morning, if you want to jot down some notes, seven reasons why a kingdom Christian should not worry. So if we are Christians and we are pursuing the kingdom first, as Jesus tells us to at the end of this passage, why should we not worry? I think there are seven things in this passage, seven reasons why we should not worry. Well, let's begin with number one in verse 25. Kingdom Christians should not worry because God is a good master. If we serve God our Father, he is our master, and he is a good master. Let's take a look at the first half of verse 25. Therefore I tell you, Jesus says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. See, Jesus begins here with a simple command. Do not worry. More literally, Jesus says, stop your worrying. That's kind of a more, a more literal translation. Jesus assumes here that his followers, if you're one of them and I am, that you will struggle at times with the subject matter of worry. It is a universal concern. We all worry. And so Jesus tells his followers, stop worrying. The word worry here at its root simply has the idea of being pulled apart. When you take a look at the Greek, it, it means to be torn asunder, to be pulled apart, which I find interesting because what does worry do to us on the inside? I don't know about you, but I think that's an apt description. When I begin to worry, my inside's not up, and I feel as if I'm, I'm, I'm kind of being pulled apart from the inside out. So Jesus begins here with a simple command. Stop worrying. Don't worry. But why? Why is it that we are to, as Jesus says, not to worry about our life, what we will eat or what we will drink, about our bodies, about what we will wear? Well, the first reason is found in the very first word of verse 25. Notice, Jesus says, therefore, I tell you. In other words, Jesus tells us not to worry, and the reason why is found back in verse 24. So if you have your Bibles, take a look in verse 24. It's, it's, it's founded in what he just told us. In part, Jesus says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. So if you're taking a look at your text and, and we read verse 24, and maybe you kind of felt this way after uh, uh, the sermon a few weeks ago, when Jesus uh, tells us, don't store up treasures here on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. And then he says, have a, have a clean eye. In other words, be generous. Don't be greedy. And then he ends by saying, listen, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve money and God, right? You'll hate one and love the other. You can't serve both God and money. And so Jesus has just given us, in these short verses that precede this section, this wonderful manifesto that we as kingdom Christians are to value the eternal things, right? That we are to store up treasures, not on earth, but in, but in heaven. And he says, man, don't waste your life on things that will, will rot. And so after hearing that, most likely we're thinking questions like, okay, so I'm not supposed to serve money as my God. I want, I want God to be my God and, and God to be my master. I can't serve both. And I, and I do, as a follower of Christ, I, wanna, I don't want to store up treasures on earth, but, but on heaven. So 
it should leave us with a question. And the question should be something like this. God, if, if I choose to be occupied with the things of you, if I make you my master, then how will I care for my needs? Who's going to meet the needs that I have? We might be thinking, God, that's great. Okay, Jesus is good. Yes, storing up treasures on, in heaven and, and making you our master. That, I want to do that. But God, we live down here. We don't live in heaven. And down here, we need money to survive. We need food for our bellies. And we need clothes for our backs. And so we may just have this question. God, if I, if I really serve you and, and not money, are you going to take care of me? I'm sure you're familiar with the, the classic Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. I'm sure you've seen it at least once. Many of you maybe have seen it hundreds of times. There's a, a scene at the beginning of the movie where the angel, you remember the angel, right? His name is Clarence. And, and, and Clarence the angel appears to George, and George is in a, a tough spot, right? He's, he's down on his luck. He needs some money. He's in a pinch. And so Clarence comes to him and, and says, George, George, I'm going to, I'm here from heaven, and I'm going to help you out. And remember what George says. He says, you know, angels don't need money up in heaven. You got 5,000 bucks for me? Because that's what he needs, right? And uh, Clarence says, well, uh, up in heaven, you know, we don't, we, don't need, we don't need that money. To which George responds with this classic line, well, it sure comes in handy down here, bub. Remember that? Sure comes in handy down here. I think Jesus is addressing this concern. We hear his teachings, live for God, don't store up treasures here on earth. But we may be thinking, well, money sure comes in handy down here, God. So how does a Christian with an eternal mindset who puts the kingdom first relate to life here on earth where we have legitimate needs? Well, Jesus answers that question initially for us in verse 25. He's saying, therefore, I tell you, If you choose to serve me and not money, if you choose to make me your master and not mammon, then you can stop worrying about money because I am a good master. I'm a trustworthy master, insinuating what he's going to say explicitly later, that he will meet our needs. So brothers and sisters in Christ, you can choose to make God your master. You can choose to to live your life with an eternal perspective, storing up treasures not here on earth, but in heaven, because God will meet your basic needs. So kingdom Christians, we don't have to worry, because God is a good master. But not only that, we see in the tail end of verse 25, because there is more to life. Kingdom Christians shouldn't worry because there is more to life. Notice the question at the tail end of verse 25. Jesus says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And of course, it's a rhetorical question. Jesus wants us to say, yes, yes, life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. In other words, Jesus is saying, Christian, God didn't just make you to consume calories, right? That's not the end-all, be-all of life. God didn't just make you to have material on your backs, right? That's not the purpose. It's not the essence of life. The basics of life, food and, and clothing and shelter, they help us live life for what it's meant to be. But friends, isn't it ironic that instead of 
saying there's more to life than food and clothing that we so easily with the idolatry of our hearts that we make life about food and we can so easily make life about clothing, how easily we find our joy, how easily we find our purpose in life in these material things, how easily we can reduce our existence to enjoying the next meal, right? Or the next fashion statement, or attaining the next wardrobe, right? We can live for these things. And Jesus says, life is way more than consuming calories and having clothing on your back. So we need to ask ourselves, what is our life all about? I mean, Jesus is going to tell us at the end of the section what life is about, but I want us to ask ourselves, what is my life about? I mean, what do I really live for? What am I seeking? What am I seeking my purpose in? What am I seeking my, my pleasure in? Because Jesus says life is, is more than food and it's more than clothing. Friends, is your life more than food? Is your life more than clothing? And it begs the question then, what is life to be about for the disciple of Jesus? Well, Jesus, as the master teacher, teases us here a little bit. He's going to tell us at the end of the section. But what we see clearly is that kingdom Christians, we don't need to worry because God is a good master. And we don't need to worry because there's more to life than these things. Number three, take a look at verse 26. And we'll make our way into verses 28 and 30 as well, saving verse 27 for our fourth point. Kingdom Christians, thirdly, should not worry because God provides for his creatures. I love this section of scripture because Jesus argues from the lesser to the greater, right? If God does this, then he will do that. Starting in verse 26 and jumping into verse 28, running through 30, Jesus uses two illustrations. You probably caught it from the video. You probably caught it from the reading. But he uses two illustrations from nature to make the point that if God provides food, For the birds of the air and clothing for the flowers of the field, then he will do so for us as well. Let's read the text together. Verse 26, Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Look at verse 28 with me now. He uses a second illustration. And and why do you worry about clothes. See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And then he brings home the point in verse 30. If that is how God clothes the the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow it's thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? So he uses this illustration, these two illustrations from nature to show us God is in the business of providing for his creation. See, the, the, the birds don't work, they don't store up food, but God meets their needs. And he says, how much more valuable are you than a mere bird? And he says, look at the flowers, right? God clothes them with beautiful clothing, if you will. Their exterior is beautiful. And he says, how much more will he do so for us. So we see then that we shouldn't worry about our nutritional needs and about our physical needs because God is engaged. He is currently engaged in meeting the needs of his people. So let me ask you a quick, 
question. Do do you think that God cares about the details and the areas of your life that you are most worried about? Do you think that he cares? And secondly, do you think that he's involved in those details? Do you think that he cares about that illness that is plaguing you or your family member? Do you think he cares about the stress levels at your job or in your home or with your kids? Do you think he cares about your next paycheck and about the needs, financial needs that you have? Do you think that he's involved in those details in your life? Brothers and sisters, if he is involved with the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, rest assured, he is involved in the details of our life. So, why should kingdom Christians not worry? Because God is a trustworthy and good master. Because there's simply more to life than these things. Because he provides for his creatures. And number four, in verse 27, because it simply doesn't do us any good. I love this section of scripture because it is so blunt and so common sense. Sandwiched in between these two illustrations of the birds and the flowers, look at verse 27. We see this hard-hitting question that Jesus asks us. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Church, what is the answer to that question? No right? No, we can't. And, and what is the irony there? By worrying, we might actually take away hours from our life. One morning, little illustration here. One morning, the grim reaper was walking into a city and, and a man saw him and stopped and asked what he was doing. And he said, I'm going into the city and I'm going to kill 10,000 people. And the man replied, that's terrible that you would do that. He said, that's my job. When death comes, I I come to take people. And so uh, later in the day, the man was leaving the city, and he sees uh, the proverbial grim reaper again. And the man was angry at him. And he said, you said this morning that you were going to take 10,000 people out of this city. But I saw on the news that 70,000 people in this city died today. And the grim reaper simply answered him, don't get mad at me. I only took 10,000. Worry killed the rest. Friends, isn't, isn't that true? See, Christian giants of old have commented on the link between worry and self-destruction. Friends, isn't worry self-destructive? It is so self-destructive. John Calvin, the great uh, Reformed theologian and uh, reformer of his day, himself uh, admittingly in his writings that he was a worrier. You can read his, his, uh, his, his writings, and he, he struggled with worry. And he, he once said this. He said, those who are extremely anxious wear themselves out and become their own executioners. Isn't that true? Corey Tin Boom, and maybe you're familiar with her story, the, the, the Christian who uh, was a World War II prisoner and endured all sorts of horrific things. She probably knew a thing about worry or two, don't you think? She wrote this. She said, worry does not empty tomorrow of sorrows. It empties today of strength. Isn't that good? I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. The fact that, that worry does us no good. It gets us nowhere. It doesn't fix the problem that we're concerned about, but it often, often exacerbates it. You know, growing up in my, uh, in my home, 
my mom and dad by their bed had a, an old wicker rocking chair. And as little children, it was one of my sister and I's favorite thing to, to play with. We would go into the room and we would kind of fight over who was going to rock in the rocking chair. I don't know why we like this rocking chair, but we did. So we would rock, 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 and then we would take turns. And we'd rock for, for several minutes at a time, just enjoying ourselves. You know, as I began to think about worry, I, I, I kind of thought, you know, worry is sort of like that. When we, when we worry, it's like we're sitting in a rocking chair. We're doing something. There's activity, right? There's energy expended, right? Our, our muscles are tired because we, we're doing it. But in reality, are we getting anywhere with all that movement? We're not. We're in the same place, right? We're, it doesn't do us any good. And that's what Jesus is, is saying here. So when we find ourselves in a moment of angst and, and, and worry and we feel the tension uh, and, and our knot, uh, the, the knots in our stomach are, are growing, we can just pause and reflect on point number four. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Jesus almost says it tongue-in-cheek, right? It's meant to be funny because we know that it doesn't do us any good. Fifth, kingdom Christians should not worry, not only because it doesn't do us any good, but take a look at verse 30, the tail end of verse 30, running into verse 32. Kingdom Christians should not worry because it erodes our faith. This is something to me that is most, um, most cutting. As I think about my own worry, as I think about the things that I, I worry about, and as worry relates to my faith. See, worry and, uh, and faith are opposites. They are antithetical to one another. Notice what Jesus says, the very last phrase of verse 30. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And then what what does he say To, to us worriers? You of what? Little faith. Just ponder that for, for a second. Jesus connects worrying with a lack of faith. Isn't that interesting? He says when we worry, we're exhibiting a very small faith in God. Verse 31, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Verse 32, for the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. This little addition to verse 30, this little question, this little This little comment has big implications for our practice of worry. Jesus says to have worry, uh, if we worry, we have little faith. We have little trust in God's goodness, in his care, in his sovereignty, in his power over our lives. We see that a little faith is expressed in questions like, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Right? When we ask these types of questions, God, will you provide? God, what's going to happen? God, how is this circumstance going to, to turn out? These are questions that Jesus says are little faith questions, if you will. When we question God's provision for the necessities of our lives, we are exhibiting a little faith. But not only that, Jesus says that we are acting like unbelievers. Boy, it gets even harsher here. He says, for the pagans run after these things. In other words, those who are not rightly related to God, they don't have faith in Christ. These are the things, the food and the clothing and the accumulation of wealth. Jesus says that unbelievers, they, they worry about getting that stuff. He says, and when you do as a Christian, then you're acting just like them. And as if, as if that weren't enough, the tail end of verse 32, and your heavenly Father knows 
that you need them. In other words, whatever it is that you are worried about, whatever it is that we are concerned about, it's not as if it's a surprise to God. It's not as if God says, oh, you have a mortgage to meet. I didn't know it. Or, oh, there's an illness in your family. Really? Maybe I should do something about it, right? (laughs) Our Heavenly Father knows what we need. He knows what we need. And He's able to meet those needs. So He says, so why do you worry? I really like what uh, one pastor by the name of uh, Dr. Krell, he hits it on the head when, when he says this. He says, think of it this way. If my children worried about whether I was going to feed and clothe them, I would feel pretty bad about the way they thought of me as a father. Right? He says, they indict me when they worry. And then he applies it. He says, when we worry, we're saying to God, God, I don't really know about you. I'm not sure you're a caring God. I'm not sure you can provide. So I'm going to take care of this one on my own. Boy, he is so right. So the less we worry, the stronger our faith will be. And the more we worry, the weaker our faith will be. There is no such thing as worry-filled faith, right? They're, they're opposites. They're oxymorons. Pastor Tony Evans, in his book, Overcoming the Stronghold of Worry, says this. He says, to worry is to insult the God who has your life under control. And then again, he says, Jesus is saying here that worry is practical atheism. Just let that sink in for a bit. Worry is practical atheism. In other words, we are living like the pagans. So, is your faith growing or fading because of your worry or not? Are you, at times, living like a practical atheist because of your worry? Friends, the pagans run after these things. But our Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father, if you know Him as your God through faith in Christ, He, he knows what you need. So, number six, kingdom Christians shouldn't worry because it, not only because it erodes our faith, but because we should have higher priorities than simply food and clothing and shelter. Notice verse 33. Verse 33. So far what Jesus has done in this section is he's told us what not to do, right? Don't worry. And here's all the reasons why. But now he tells us what we should be doing, what we should be pursuing. Verse 33. But, you see the contrast, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then what's the glorious promise that follows? And what's the word he uses? All. And all these things will be given to you as well. Now, he's not promising that we're going to have a fancy house and we're going to have all the fancy clothes. That's all here is referring to the necessities of life, the, the, right, the, the, the clothing and the food, right? All these things will be given to you as well. It's like Jesus is saying, if you want something to live for, if you want something to seek after, if you want something to run after, then this is it. He says, Christian, if you want a purpose, if you seek this. If you want a priority, then seek this first. What? Two things, right? And they're related. The kingdom and his righteousness. The righteousness of God. That is, we, as kingdom Christians, this is what we should be living for. Remember, he kind of teased us a little bit. 
He says, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Yes, Jesus, life is more than food. And yes, life is more than clothing. What is it about? Well, he tells us here, life for the kingdom Christian is about the kingdom advancing the purposes of God and his righteousness, living in such a way that is befitting to be a member of the kingdom. That's what we should live for. That's what life is about for followers of Christ. So the people of God, ironically, are to be a covetous people. We are to covet, right? Not money, not goods, but God's kingdom and his righteousness. Dr. Constable puts it well. He says, rather than refraining from the pursuit of material things, the disciples should replace this with a pursuit having, uh, having much greater significance. So don't, don't miss the irony here, right? Jesus says if you're worried about your food, if you're worrying about your clothing, if you're worried about your life, the way that God says that we are to have those needs met is not by living for them. It's not by hoarding them, right? It's not by worrying about them or trying to meet them uh, apart from God. But it's by doing what? It's by living for the advancement of the kingdom of God in this world. Because when we do that, All these things will be given to you as well. So finally, one final reason. Why should kingdom Christians not worry? Verse 34, it's extremely practical. Kingdom Christians should not worry because we should live our lives one day at a time. I don't know about you, but it's, I like to live for tomorrow as well sometimes. And I like to think about the next week and the next week and the next week. And planning is good. The Bible has all sorts of things about planning. But notice what Jesus says in verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Why? For, here's the reason, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Again, this is tongue-in-cheek, right? Jesus is, is being funny here. Don't worry about tomorrow. It'll worry about itself. Just let tomorrow worry about tomorrow, right? As if a day could worry. He says, listen, don't, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day, he says, has enough trouble of its own. I love that. He speaks tongue-in-cheek. He means that each day brings new trouble and new potential worries. So why worry about tomorrows when you have those for today, right? So don't get ahead of yourself is all that Jesus is saying. Chuck Swindoll, I think, paraphrases this verse well. He says, it's kind of pithy. He says, worry pulls tomorrow's cloud over today's sunshine. Isn't that a good image? He says, this is what worry is like. It pulls the clouds of tomorrow, the worries of tomorrow, over today's sunshine. So let's not worry about tomorrow, but live in the now, nor be enamored with all of the what-ifs. Those are the ones that get me, I'll be really honest. There's a scenario, what if? What if this happens? What if that person does this? What if... This happens, right? Those are the ones that, that, that get me the, well, this is what is, but what could be? And Jesus says, don't, don't get enamored with that stuff. The story is told of a, of a, of a woman and a, and, a, and a man, a husband and wife. They've been married for, for, for lots of years. And uh, the woman particularly really was fearful of uh, her home being broken in at night. She feared burglars, even to the point where she really struggled to fall asleep and had insomnia. So one night, her husband, as the story goes, and, her wife, and his wife, they're asleep in bed, and they, they hear a noise, right? There's a rattling. 
downstairs. And so as the, the scene plays out, of course, the wife says to the husband, go check downstairs. And so the husband goes downstairs uh, as he's done probably numerous times, doesn't expect to see anything. And uh, he goes downstairs and lo and behold, there is a burglar. There is a burglar in his home. And so he says, uh, good evening, sir. I'm pleased to see you. Why don't you come upstairs and meet my wife? She's been waiting 10 whole years to meet you. (laughs) Isn't that what we do with worry, right? We just, what if, what if, what could be, what's going to happen tomorrow, right? Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, Jesus says, for tomorrow will worry about itself. I want to close with a, a story of an old hymn. I don't know if you've are familiar with it, but the, the writer of the hymn, you see her drawing on the screen behind me, there's an old hymn entitled, His Eye is on the Sparrow. His Eye is on the Sparrow. It was written by a woman that you see behind me whose name uh, is Sevilla Martin. Sevilla Martin. And as the story goes, Sevilla, uh, she was friends with this couple, this husband and wife by the name of Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle. Now, in her writings, she writes about Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle and how, though they were faithful followers of Christ, uh, suffered extreme hardship throughout the course of, of their life. She writes that, that uh, Mrs. Doolittle, uh, the final 20 years of her life was essentially bedridden and that her husband uh, was, uh, was in a wheelchair uh, for a number of years. And so, despite the hardships that they had endured, uh, she writes of this couple, and I quote, Despite their afflictions, they lived happy Christian lives, bringing inspiration and comfort to all who knew them, end quote. So one day, as the story goes, she asked Mrs. Doolittle, what's your secret? Like, what, what's your secret? And, and she said that Mrs. Doolittle simply said, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. So Sevilla turned that little phrase into a hymn entitled, His Eye is on the Sparrow, which verse 1 reads this way. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Friends, let's, let's not worry. Let's seek his kingdom and his righteousness first, because his eye is on the sparrow, and I know that he watches.